Debbie George Addis, welcome to America Can We Talk. Today on my show, we'll be talking about Tucker Carlson's fight, which is America's fight. Interview with Chris Holton of the Center for Security Policy about a terror registry and the long-term left-wing anti-Semitism in America. And last, the most unbelievable story about how Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez made her way to Washington frightening, alarming, must know this information. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Welcome again to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will tell you folks that I try to do a first five. I call this segment the first five, and it's usually supposed to be a short segment, and it kind of always goes over five minutes. But I try to capture one story that's just of such extreme importance and give you a quick overview of it. You are likely watching, you're aware of the fact that Tucker Carlson is under assault from the American left, to put it mildly. Tucker Carlson, you know, he's a host on a Fox News show, the Tucker Carlson Show, very popular speaker, very popular show, probably one of the most popular on all of Fox. And one of the left-wing media entities in this country decided to do a hit piece on him. They dove back into his, you know, he's been in media for years. I don't even, I don't even know this, but he's been in media, different shows for years. They dug back and found a series of things he said and some interviews, other shows, um, I guess other shows he hosted or, or was a guest on, ran it together as a hit piece and basically <clears throat> are making the argument to America and to Fox that Tucker Carlson should be taken off air because of some, you know, inappropriate or unclassy things that he said. Uh, No context, of course, provided. And why I want to talk about this story, I'll tell you the truth. I think Tucker Carlson's got a pretty great show. I don't watch it very often, but I have seen different segments. I also know he is just a very popular speaker uh, in the pro-life world. He's become really articulate and passionate on the pro-life issue. His popularity drives left-wing America nuts. So instead of engaging on the issues he talks about, instead of debating with him or putting on shows or interviews that would counter what Tucker Carlson is saying, what this media hit piece did was essentially try to launch their attack on him with the message that all of his advertisers should drop him, that Fox News should drop him, that America should hate him. Tucker Carlson did the unthinkable. Instead of doing what so many people in this country and the American right do to issue an apology and then plead for forgiveness and all the other kind of stuff the left uh, pushes for them to do, he's saying no. He's standing up. I want to play a clip to start with. This is Tucker Carlson, I think just from a couple days ago, but his response to this attack on him. I had to shorten it. This is, I urge you to listen to the whole thing, but here's a brief segment. Go ahead, Tucker. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. As anyone who's ever been caught in its gears can tell you, the great American outrage machine is a remarkable thing. 
One day you're having dinner with your family, imagining everything is fine. The next, your phone is exploding with calls from reporters. They read you snippets from a press release written by Democratic Party operatives. They demand to know how you could possibly have said something so awful and offensive. Do you have a statement on how immoral you are? It's a bewildering moment, especially when the quotes in question are more than a decade old. There's really not that much you can do to respond. It's pointless to try to explain how the words were spoken in jest or taken out of context, or in any case bear no resemblance to what you actually think or would want for the country. None of that matters. Nobody cares. You know the role you're required to play. You are a sinner begging the forgiveness of Twitter. So you issue a statement of deep contrition. You apologize profusely for your transgressions. You promise to be a better person going forward. With the guidance of your contrition consultants, you send money to whatever organization claims to represent the people you supposedly offended. And yet, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how despised and humiliated you may be, there is one thing you can never do, one thing that is absolutely not allowed. You can never acknowledge the comic absurdity of the whole thing. You can never laugh in the face of the mob. You must always pretend that the people yelling at you are somehow your moral superiors. This is a system built on deceit and enforced silence. Hypocrisy is its hallmark. Yet in Washington, it's considered rude to ask questions about how exactly it works. Why are the people who considered Bill Clinton a hero lecturing me about sexism? How can the party that demands racial quotas denounce other people as racist? The left's main goal, in case you haven't noticed, is controlling what you think. In order to do that, they have to control the information that you receive. Google and Facebook and Twitter are fully on board with that. They're happy to ban unapproved thoughts, and they don't apologize for it. They often do. So do the other cable channels and virtually every major news outlet in this country. One of the only places left in the United States where independent thoughts are allowed is right here, the opinion hours on this network. Just a few hours in a sea of television programming. It's not much, relatively speaking. For the left, it's unacceptable. They demand total conformity. You have to, I, I hope you can play the whole uh, clip that you, you saw a little segment of, because Tucker Carlson has been extraordinary in this attack. And the reason I think it's so important to talk about and for you to understand what's at stake is what Tucker Carlson is saying is true, not just of outspoken, uh, popular Fox News talk show hosts. It is the way the Twitter mob, the, the outrage mob, the American left greets any person who manages to get any prominence, any attention drawn to them, they treat them as a non-person, as someone who is not allowed to be heard, who must be shut down, whose views may never be heard by anyone. Tucker Carlson, in one of the other uh, tweets he put out right after this whole thing broke, is he said, I invite people to listen to my show, listen to what I think. What the Twitter mob is the last thing this, this anti-American, radical leftist Twitter mob wants. And by the way, the group that went after him is called Media Matters. But there are several of them out there. Their thought is if they can just humiliate him, embarrass him, force him off air, silence him, they are making progress toward their goal of controlling what American voters and American citizens hear and are allowed to think about. Fortunately, in the other portion that I didn't play here, but Fox is standing by him. Fox is not removing his show over this, but he did lose 
several advertisers uh, and they who were pressured by the same radical left-wing Twitter mob to say, how could you advertise on Tucker Carlson show? Look what he said 10 years ago in some shock jock show. And some of those advertisers, jelly-spined as they were, backed down, saluted to the Twitter mob. Same thing's happening to Justice Jeanine Pirro. She has been on the show before. She is another thought leader. She's another person who puts her, puts her thoughts out there in the American political conversation. She's one who weighs in and doesn't always salute to the, doesn't ever salute to the American left's agenda. She made a statement on her show last week in relation to Representative Ilhan Omar, the Democrat from Minnesota, who was you know, widely viewed to have made numerous anti-Semitic statements. And the way that, uh, that, that uh, Jeanine Perot spoke about Representative Omar, she said, she's asking essentially, where did Ilhan, Ilhan Omar's anti-Semitism come from? Where did it come from? She said the Democrat Party's agenda, I mean, at least their platform isn't anti-Semitic, although I would question that statement. I'll more about that later. But what, uh, what Pierrot went on to say was, think about it. You know, where did she get these anti-Semitic views? If it's not from her own party, because they say they're not anti-Semitic, she said Omar wears a hijab. Is her adherence to this Islamic doctrine indicative of her adherence to Sharia law? which is in itself antithetical to the United States Constitution. And so I got to tell you, folks, that the, the uh, left-wing uh, Twitter mob, the left-wing outrage machine went nuts trying to get Perot knocked off air, and Fox News did back down about her. They didn't take her off air, but they denounced her statements. And for the reasons you should know if you listen to this show often, you realize what the, the obviously the point of what Janine Perot was saying was, Islam, the faith itself, not every member of the faith, but the faith itself in the Quran, in the writings and thoughts attributed to the prophet Muhammad, in mosques around the world and imams around the world and mullahs around the world. There is, and throughout the Quran itself, there is continual, numerous, there are numerous examples, numerous instances of direct instruction to devout Muslims, to hate Jews, to kill Jews, speaking of Jewish people as not having the right to live, speaking of them as subhuman, as animals, as lower than dogs, this is in Islamic doctrine. And all the pro is pointing out is maybe Representative Ilhan Omar's anti-Semitism grows out of the fact that she's a follower of a faith whose founder, the Prophet Muhammad regularly and frequently statements attributed to him in holy Islamic writings. He agreed with the idea that Jews should be killed, should be hunted down, should be made subservient, are not really human. So Perot is not out on a limb here suggesting perhaps Representative Omar's anti-Semitism, which we all can see, is tied in some way to her Islamic faith. But you know what? You're not allowed to say that either, according to left-wing thought police. So. Fox News has an issue going forward, and they aren't as conservative as they used to be. Will they still stand by their hosts who say things that the left-wing Twitter mob says you're not allowed to say? I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. Stay tuned for a three-second break. We're going to go to an interview with a uh, gentleman from the Center for Security Policy, Chris Holton. Be right back. Stay tuned. Welcome 
welcome back to America Can We Talk. If you see me, by the way, if you listen to this show, I appreciate that so much. I do have some great news about the show I'll share in the last segment, but we have a new setup over here. So if you see me looking over there, we, the studio's changed. I'm kind of I'm trying to, uh, my very wonderful producer, Matt, is signaling me through a kind of dark glass. So I'm not <laughs> making sure we're communicating. Anyway, welcome back to America Can We Talk. We have a guest joining us this hour, Chris Holton. I'll tell you just very briefly about him. Uh, he's with the Center for Security Policy based in Washington, D.C. Uh, he's vice president of outreach at the Center for Security Policy. And last week or two weeks ago, we had on Frank Gaffney, the founder of Center for Security Policy. So these two gentlemen have worked together. Um, and Chris Holton came to the um, Center for Security Policy after being a marketing director and president of Blanchard & Company editor-in-chief um, of Blanchard Economic Research, you know, very well-educated, well-informed guy, and he is joining us to talk today um, about several different topics. So welcome, Chris. Thank you very much for having me. Glad you're here. Okay, I'm so glad you could join us. Well, I want to jump right in. First of all, we had last week uh, John Guandolo. I mean, yeah, John Guandolo on the show. We had Frank Gaffney, who comes on the show often. So I've heard about you a lot, but I first time to have you on. I'm so glad you could, could join me. And so I want to ask this. Well, just, any friend of John Guandolo is a friend of mine. Oh, amen to that. Love that guy. Okay. And he lives in Dallas now. We, we got him here in the great state of Texas. Okay. So I want to start with, um, you, you did a, uh, I think it was a call for Center for Security Policy, but a bit of a briefing on this idea of a terror registry. And I just heard the words and I thought, this sounds good already, but I'm just, if you can tell our listeners this idea about states looking at the idea of creating a terror registry, what would be in it? And is it kind of like this sex offender registry idea? Well, that's what inspired it. Uh, Thank you for bringing it up. I really appreciate that. And uh, it's still very much in its formative stages, but it's basically inspired by the fact that over the next few years, scores of people in America who have been convicted since 9-11 of terrorism and material support for terrorism will be released from prison. Now, where do those people go and what do they do when they get out of prison? Well, right now, we, we don't really know. But we think at the Center for Security Policy that just as sex offenders have to register with local law enforcement when they go someplace to live, that terrorist offenders should have to register with local law enforcement as well. Um, one of the things that, you know, John Guandolo does a lot of um, is uh, do instruction to state and local law enforcement around the country. Uh, I've been able to meet members of state and local law enforcement around the country. Over the, and I've uh, talked to them about this concept. And I have yet to meet anybody in state and local law enforcement that says that they don't want to know if a terrorist comes and lives in their <laughs> jurisdiction. Yeah. So uh, we think that it's necessary um, and it's a good thing to have. Uh, and uh, people be shocked that the, you know, the average sentence for someone uh, uh, convicted of material support of terrorism or terrorism in this country is only 13 and a half years. And that's the sentence, because generally speaking, on the federal level, nobody ever serves their full sentence. Uh, yeah. So people are getting out of prison, you know, several years after being convicted of wanting to join ISIS or joining ISIS or sending money to Al-Shabaab or somehow supporting uh, Al-Qaeda. These people are getting out of prison and we just wonder, are they being rehabilitated in prison or 
is it more likely, given some of the activity of the jihadis in our prison systems, that they may come out even more hardened than they were when they went in? Uh, we think law enforcement has a, a definite need to know the whereabouts of these people. And it's not enough for them to be on uh, a terror watch list or a federal list, because inevitably, when there's a terrorist incident somewhere in this country, we find out after the fact that whoever committed the act was on some type of watch list on the federal level, but nothing was done about it other than to put them on the list. We find that state and local law enforcement is a lot more responsive and a lot more accountable because they actually live in the communities where this would be uh, uh, taking place. Uh, so we think it would be valuable for them to know when a convicted terrorist comes to live in their jurisdiction. It's such a brilliant idea. It's like one of those things like, why didn't we think of this a long time ago? I mean, it's a really great idea. And the idea that people who are sent to prison for uh, either attempting to join ISIS or sending material support to ISIS or any other uh, jihadist organization, uh, the idea that we ought to know if you're still going to be in our country when you're out of prison, where are you going? That, that just seemed, that's, I, I love the idea. I was going to say, maybe you already said these numbers, but since 9-11, the federal government prosecuted about 400 jihadists. I don't even think most people know that. that, that that's a lot of people in America. It, I mean, American citizens, I assume, or at least Americans who had the people the right to be here. And between 2018 and 2024, at least 61 will be uh, released from prison. That's kind of astonishing. It is astonishing, and, and the sentences are incredibly light, because I believe that we need a terrorist offender registry on the local level uh, enacted by state legislatures around the country, just as the sex offender registry was started. But we also need to look at reform of uh, the sentencing for uh, material support for terrorism, because people are getting out of prison much too soon after swearing allegiance to people who are on video cutting girls' heads off. It, it, yeah. it just it boggles the mind that we don't have more stringent sentences and longer sentences for uh, uh, material support for terrorism and, and, of course, for terrorism. One last thing on this topic, then I'm going to switch to another one, but I believe I read in something from the Center for Security Policy that unlike the sex offender registry, which the common citizen can access and see where these people are. The idea behind the terror registry is that this would only be information if the state were to pass a law and create one in, in each individual state, that only law enforcement would have access to that registry. Is that correct? That is correct. And the reason for that is, is that uh, uh, we wouldn't want to have any uh, vigilante type activity happen as a result of uh, 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 publishing someone's home address, uh, and uh, even with the sex offender registry, they, they've had to amend those registries around the country from over the years because there were um. some incidents that occurred uh, where a sex offender uh, was assaulted in their home uh, because of uh, the fact that their uh, address was, was published on the internet. Um, we don't think there's any necessarily great uh, advantage for the average citizen to know uh, that uh, a uh, person who's convicted of terrorism is in their neighborhood, but we sure want the cops in that area to know.
Absolutely. Okay, so I want to turn, I have three topics I hope to, hope to get to. And as I was saying in the show, I grew up in New York, so I can talk pretty fast. So I'm going to jump to the next one, because we, we always have more topics than time. But the next one was, um, there is a, and I've talked about it in the show, in fact, when Frank Gaffney was on, we talked about this, but Representative Ilhan Omar, the new member of Congress, a Democrat from the state of Minnesota, has made numerous statements that many widely viewed to be anti-Semitic. And uh, the Democrats had a really hard time criticizing her. They ultimately passed some resolution, kind of watered down, didn't mention her name, lumped in a whole bunch of other possible sources of hate. But you've been a student of this uh, topic of uh, Islam and what Islam actually teaches. Do you think it's fair to assume or fair to attribute her anti-Semitism or the connection between her anti-Semitism and her Islamic faith? Well, you know, as Frank uh, said in a recent Secure Freedom Minute, um, there is that certainly that implication. And, and he cited Andrew Boston, who has written extensively on that subject uh, and pointed out that Islamic doctrine, as you said in, in your introduction uh, earlier, uh, Islamic doctrine is littered with examples of Jew hatred and uh, calls uh, that Jews are descended from apes and pigs. And there's a call uh, for uh, the rocks uh, of, in boulders to say that, to tell a Muslim that there's a Jew hiding behind them, come kill the Jew. Uh, things like that are in Islamic doctrine. Now we can thank God that the overwhelming majority of Muslims in the world do not act on those things. But nevertheless, there's no denying that that exists in Islamic doctrine. I don't know where Omar got that stuff, but I've been working in this capacity at the Center for Security Policy since 2004. And from mm -hmm. 2006 to about 2011, my primary duty was the divest terror initiative to divest state pension systems from Iran. And I worked with some really wonderful uh, pro-Israel and Jewish organizations in, uh, in, in that initiative for, for five years. And I worked with a lot of state and local officials and their staffers um, over those years, scores of them, if not hundreds of them. And I'll tell you, I ran into anti-Semitism on the Democrat side repeatedly, over and over and over again, and it was stark. Uh, they referred to Jews as the tribe and Hebes and things like that. I never had a single Republican ever make an inappropriate comment like that, but I got it numerous times from Democrat staffers. I believe that it's not news that Omar would say what she said because she's got ties to the Muslim Brotherhood and the Muslim Brotherhood um, is absolutely uh, a Jew hating organization. So that's not news. But the news is, is that the Democratic Party couldn't bring itself to repudiate what she said because they didn't just water down that resolution. That resolution that they passed had nothing to do with what happened. Zero. Didn't mention her, didn't mention anything. She didn't pay any price for what she said. And let me tell you, if she had been a Republican, you and I both know that she would have lost all of her committee seats. Absolutely true. I'm gonna add on for our listeners, uh, at my website, americacanwetalk.org, you can go to the homepage and beneath the word shows, you go down and it says list of links. 
And there are several articles linked there that are from the Center for Security Policy. There's also one I wanted to mention, and I can't go into it right now, but I want to mention and encourage you to read it. An article that is on the American Spectator called The Left's Anti-Semitism Problem. It is a great laundry list of over the years of various times that representatives of the American left, uh, people in power and the Democrat Party, uh, and, and activists on the American left went out of their way to in some way or another, voice anti-Semitic ideas, voice denouncement of Israel. It is not just a random, she just happens to be, she, Representative Ilhan Omar, happens to be one person who's a Democrat and an anti-Semite. The left's history in this country is rich with anti-Semitism. And so if you're talking about this with your friends, get some of those examples in your head. It's a great, lengthy, it's like a 17-page article. A lot of examples, though, so you're not just making a, 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 a abstract accusation. There's a lot of evident reason to argue that the American left has really thrived on and had as a core notion uh, anti-Semitism as given voice, have been given voice by many people on the American left, including Democrat Party leaders. Okay, but one other question, Chris Holton of the Center for Security Policy. So you uh, mentioned, we were emailing earlier today, you talked about the jihadist threat at the southern border. And for all the battle about the border security and building a wall and do we have the money and should we, drug cartels and human traffickers, you don't hear a lot of discussion, unfortunately, about the jihadist threat at America's southern border. So I'd love to have you talk about that. Well, I'll be glad to. You know, I wrote that article. I'm pretty much OCD. And I was watching the news, and there were numerous uh, comments by Nancy Pelosi and others on the left that the idea of a terrorist threat on the border was a fantasy. And this is something that I've been following and studying for several years now. And I knew that that was a completely wrong statement. Only two possibilities when someone says that there is no terrorist threat on the southern border. Either they're lying or they're ignorant. No other possibility exists because there are numerous examples in open source uh, documentation of jihadists crossing the border, uh, jihadists from al-Shabaab, jihadists from Hamas, Hezbollah operating on the southern border. Um, The infamous Robert Mueller, when he was FBI director, um, testified before Congress about uh, a Hezbollah activity on the southern border that the FBI uh, had addressed. That was several years ago. Um, so this has been going on some time. It's been documented. Nobody's been paying any attention. And the jihadis themselves have written extensively and spoken extensively about the fact that we have a porous border and they, want, and they choose to exploit that border. And incidentally, it's not just the southern border. It's the northern border as well. Both of our borders are porous. And the jihadis uh, have uh, sought to uh, tell their followers to take advantage of that. And they have. It, it has already occurred. I wrote a report on that. It's nine pages long. It's at the Center for Security Policy's website. It's called The Terrorist Threat on the Southern Border. Okay, I'm going to say that, Tyler, again, The Terrorist Threat on the Southern Border. And I also want to mention to our listeners that we're talking with Chris Holton of the Center for Security Policy. You can And you can find uh, centerforsecuritypolicy.com. It's .com, right? Dot com? Dot org. Oh, dot org. Okay. Glad I asked. Centerforsecuritypolicy.org. And you also can just get to via just going to securefreedom.org, right? Yes, ma'am. Yes, yeah, secure freedom. 
these are these uh, this website for the Washington DC based Center for Security Policy is rich with information and why I really urge you to go there is because it's very hard sometimes to get from even relatively conservative sources detailed information about many threats. Center for Security Policy is not just about the jihadist threat, but that's the topic for today. There really is uh, just a wealth of information there, and it's footnoted and documented and explained, and it and it really helps you feel more alert, more aware, more on top of the uh, challenges America faces. And as I say, Chris, I, I find it actually astonishing that in this era of Trump, for all the reasons he's arguing for the southern border security and a border wall and arguing with Congress over the emergency declaration, there's not hardly any reference to, beside all the other threats, the jihadist threat. So um, thank you for writing that piece, and um, I hope that news gets out there. And I know you guys at Center for Security Policy are trying to get that information out to the public, too. We do our best. Thank you very (laughs) much for your support. Oh, you're so welcome. Okay, so again, we have Chris Holden. This is centerforsecuritypolicy.com. And um, I really, I thank you for this great interview. I hope we'll have to have you back again sometime soon. Anytime. It's a privilege. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, thank you. And folks, that was Chris Holton of the Center for Security Policy. We're going to take a three-second break, three seconds where we're going to wave my arms and make the light come back on the studio. Be right back with the most astonishing information about AOC, I am, this is not making fun of her. This is actually informing you of something you simply must understand about her presence in the Congress. Stay tuned. <laughs> Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I love that I moved my show to this studio. It is Real News PR. It's the RNC and Real News Communication Network. I love this studio. I love this setup. Uh, in our happy studio, we uh, have a light that's on a timer, and um, it went out, as you just saw. So I was trying to uh, signal it to make the light come back on. But I want to hit one of the most unbelievable stories. You know, my husband, okay, in fact, quite frequently, he'll send me articles, email me articles, and say, hey, you know, do you know about this story? Do you want to talk about this? You know, I could do this show, honestly. I could talk for three hours, five days a week, and still have more things I want to talk with you about. And if this is the first time you're listening to my show, I will tell you that the entire reason the show exists, America Can We Talk, is to give me a platform to talk to you, to the American people, to the, not just to thought leaders in this country, to thought leaders, everyday citizens, activists, to inspire you to realize and to get on board, to get in the fight for preserving this precious, extraordinary experiment in human liberty, which is America. This show is all about preserving this country and recognizing the literally multitudes of ways in which America can be and is being undermined. And the job of patriots in our generation, patriots in every generation, have the job to step up in their time and do their part to preserve a country based on liberty. So, on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, There is a video, which I'm going to play a segment of in just a moment, but the video is by a, I'd never heard of this guy before. It's a YouTube video, 23, 24 minutes long. The the, um, guy is, he calls himself Mr. Reagan. He has a Ronald Reagan's picture there. So he's obviously, he's a Ronald Reagan supporter. He's a Ronald, but he's, you know, and I assume his last name is Reagan. I don't know. What he uncovered is so mind blowing 
and so consequential that I want to just set, take a minute to set the table. There is an organization, a group, a, uh, I guess they, they do videos, or they're a young, radical leftist group called the Young Turks. The Young Turks. They do videos. They are just you know, radical, anti-American. And to use the terminology I want to use more frequently now, they are simply Marxists. They want collectivist Marxism tyranny in this country. They use the expression progressive. So I want to urge you that every time you hear people say progressive, think Marxist collectivist tyranny. That's what it is. So this Young Turks group have got involved that you know they're very politically active and they do videos and they support leftists and all that well there was one guy who was with them with that group uh and his name is spelled his first name is spelled c-e-n-k but he pronounced it's pronounced jank jank uh uger which is spelled u-y-g-u-r i'm telling you all that to say look these people up don't just take, I can't play this guy's whole video. I can't tell you the whole story today. I can tell you that when you look these people up, you will be creeped out. These people are radical, collectivists, and Marxists. That's where their head lives. It's what their mission is. So this group began to work. They, of course, are active. They love Bernie Sanders, love the radical leftists, you know, love the people who want to take socialist control of this country. Well, that group, um, one guy who got connected with it, and he is actually now the uh, chief of staff for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, is a guy named Sekat Chakrabarti. Sorry, I even had it down to say correctly. Sekat Chakrabarti. He uh, is from Texas, I'm embarrassed to tell you. Um, He's a Harvard grad. He is her current chief of staff. But this guy, Saikat Chakrabarti, actually worked on the Bernie Sanders campaign. He is a radical leftist. He's a radical socialist. He got inspired after the ending of you know, Bernie Sanders' campaign failed, uh, his effort to become president, or to even get the Democrat nomination. And so many radical leftists in his group banded together along with or led by this young Turks, Jank Uger, and created something called the Justice Democrats. And if that name sounds familiar, that is the name of the group. I mentioned a few weeks ago how the Green New Deal got written. The Green New Deal, which is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's absolute takeover of America under the guise of environmentalism, complete destruction of the freedom of America in that bill, that bill got created by three people on her staff, on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's staff, even before she was in Congress, along with the Justice Democrats and some other group. The point of telling you all this is that this group organized and decided they were going to do way more than just wait to find the next left-wing candidate and then try to work with that candidate and help that candidate get elected. They went into the business, the mission. And if you, and I wish I didn't, I wish I could play this whole long tape for you. I urge you to find it yourself and play it yourself. But they went on the mission of trying to run candidates who were radical leftists, radical Marxist collectivists, Marxist government control, freedom destroyed people, this 
entity went on a mission to try to find people to run and in encouraging those people to primary incumbent Democrats who they viewed as too establishment, too moderate, too much still somewhere in the American playing field. They were trying to push this idea of getting these radicals to take out even existing relatively establishment Democrats. They ran 79 candidates, endorsed, the Justice Democrats endorsed 79 candidates in the 2018 elections. 26 of them, so they ran 79, 26 won primaries, seven of those won in the general elections. So one of them being Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Others include this guy from Arizona, uh, Raul uh, Grijalva, Ro Khanna of CD17 in California, um, uh, yeah, uh, Ayanna Presley, CD7 of Massachusetts, Pramila Jayapal, the one who put in the Medicare for All by Force bill, uh, 7th District of Washington, Rashida Tlaib, Michigan, CD13, and Ilhan Omar, Minnesota, CD5. I'm getting at this to tell you that it wasn't just that they decided, hey, let's find some radicals. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is nothing more than a puppet. These people actually put on a tryout like you would do if you had a Broadway play or a new movie and you hold tryouts. Who can we get to run? They held tryouts trying to get someone to run against the then incumbent Democrat congressman who then represented AOC's district in New York, which I forget the number. I think maybe district, whatever it is, doesn't matter. Whatever congressional district she represents in New York, they held tryouts the way you would for a role in Hollywood. So we're going to go to the tape. I want you to hear what he's describing. This Mr. Reagan's describing that he uncovered along with statements from the Justice Democrats about what their mission was. Take it away, Mr. Reagan. In 2017, a group called the Justice Democrats held auditions for potential congressional candidates that they would run on their platform for various congressional seats throughout the country. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's brother, Gabriel, submitted her for the role. Back in 2016, we put out a call for nominations. We got over 10,000 nominations. Out of those 10,000 nominations, we found Alexandria. My brother told me that he had sent my nomination in the summer, but I was like literally working out of a restaurant and I was like, there's no way. A casting call. They had a casting call. They cast Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the role of Congresswoman. And they did this so they could promote their own agenda. In this video, I'm going to make three very serious accusations against Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. One, she did not actually run for Congress. Two, she is a puppet Congresswoman. And three, the people controlling her are very dangerous. Okay. He has, and as I say, I can't play the whole thing, but he, among the many things in this tape, he has the language that these radical justice Democrat types came up with, and they work through, oh, 40% of Americans earn less than something, that's X number of millions. Exact wording that they, ha they came up with in their planning stages is what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says. They had 
they had another segment uh, in this video where they were talking about how they would sell the Green New Deal. And they would sell it as a radical justice, uh, social justice, um, racial justice, ethnic justice. I mean, an actual literal string of phrases put together by this Justice Democrat group on media being interviewed explaining it and then later cutting to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying exactly the same thing. My point in telling you this is, number one, you gotta watch the video. Now I'm gonna tell you, I got that YouTube link, I tried to post it my Facebook page today, numerous times, and you know when Facebook puts a message up, oops, like, you know, oops, that they actually write oops, uh, somehow something didn't work, try again later. I couldn't get it to post on our Facebook page. I hope I will, I'll keep trying later, but if you can go to this guy's, um, this Mr. Reagan, and he calls it, um, I think he calls his video, um, just put his name in, and Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, it'll come up. But he runs through how radical the ideas are of this group, and once they had their casting call, over 10,000 people, they chose Alexandria because they viewed her as charming, she was inviting people would listen to her. She's the most popular member of Congress. I mean, I'm going to tell you, the most popular member of Congress, maybe ever since America had Congress. She's up there prancing around, and you notice if she gets off script, if she isn't repeating the talking points that they've told her to have, she's lost. She can't make a coherent sentence come together. She really was a, a bartender who charmed the Justice Democrats into choosing her, and once they decided on her, they created that famous campaign video. They created her social media. They created her ground game. They created her brand. They created her. She's not real in any sense of a person running for Congress to stand up for anything. She is a puppet. She parrots what they tell her to do. She parrots what they tell her to say. She's lost on the floor of the Congress. I mean, I was going to play segments today. I can't do it today, but about the various beyond idiotic things that she asked of the CEO of some bank who was in Congress testifying. I mean, she was off on asking him, should his bank be responsible uh, for a spill from the Keystone Pipeline? And the Keystone Pipeline didn't even have that spill. I mean, she just... And besides, why would he be responsible? I mean, she just is a, an, you know, an airhead, not able to function. But I'm, I raise this for uh, many, many reasons. One is to recognize how radically relentless the American left is. Just like what they're doing to Tucker Carlson, that you made, a, made mistakes 10 years ago, you must be destroyed. Your advertisers must be driven out of town. Your show must be taken off the air. Same thing they're doing to Janine Pirro. You're going to go down because you dared to point out there's a very serious and logical connection between anti-Semitism and Islamic doctrine, which anyone who has an ounce of honesty and familiarity with Islamic doctrine knows is true. The left is relentless. They have decided on that attack mode. They use it over and over. Too many people on our side capitulate. Businesses capitulate. Well, I don't want to be in trouble. And now you see what they did, not just her, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Again, these people, the Justice Democrats, ran 79 candidates. They're already planning on running many more. Their goal is to replace 
all establishment Democrats in the Congress with radical leftists, with people who like their Marxist, tyrannical agenda. That's what they're doing, and they're not embarrassed about it. They are proud of being Marxists. They are proud of their mission to destroy healthcare freedom, to destroy secure border, to impose socialized medicine on you. That's where they live mentally, and they're doing this. So I raise it to say we have a serious, serious problem in this country. If you have voters more charmed, the people in her district, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they did not choose her because they're Marxists and leftists. They chose her because she showed up at the front door. She seemed charming. She seemed nice. She ran a nice ad. They had no more idea what she was than someone who'd never heard of her. But they had the chance to vote. They voted on charm. They voted on image. They voted on the branding, the package that Justice Democrats created of her. Which means two conclusions. Number one, it is incumbent on, and I really wish to be more people, pressuring the Democrat Party establishment, the leadership, Pelosi, for example, and saying, are you with her or not? Force the Democrats to either denounce her or live with her radicalness. Number two, recognize how relentless and determined the American left is to destroy this country. It's not to move us slightly left, to have a little bit bigger social safety net. It is to destroy the very idea of a country rooted in liberty. Get that. And then number three, once you get that point, understand how ludicrous, irresponsible, and frankly downright immoral it is that we have people on our side too prissy to stand up against it too quickly, they're like tumbleweed politicians blown around by the wind. Someone tells them, Tucker Carlson says something bad. They go, well, I don't want to, he shouldn't have said that. Maybe I don't watch him anymore. We need to stop being tumblewood, tumbleweed politicians blown around by the wind on our side. Let our side be the one that stands up, exposes the left, says what we stand for, and for crying out loud, stand up with President Trump. He's the only one doing the agenda the American people want. We need the GOP to get behind him and stop fighting him. I believe I'm over time. I'm so glad you've tuned in to America Can We Talk. I'm on every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. On Facebook, like this page, review it, comment. On YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. I love talking about America. I love talking about preserving America. We all need to be on the mission of preserving America because America matters. Talk to you next time. Can We Talk? Truth About America.